Welcome to another episode of You Are Not A Frog, Bullying in the Workplace. Now, I'm sure you can all think of multiple instances at work in which you've witnessed things that you would describe as bullying. And like most of us, you probably felt very uncomfortable and then let it go. The cost of speaking up was just too high. And quite frankly, most of us don't know how to speak up. So in this episode, I discuss this really common issue with Dr. Adam Harrison. Now, Adam has very personal experiences of bullying, and he's been prompted to look into this closely recently through his work with medical students. So have a listen if you want to know how humiliation and bullying affect professionals when they experience it and when they witness it. Listen if you want to know how to be resilient in the face of bullying and how to even start to do something about it. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for GPs, doctors and other busy professionals in high-stress jobs. Even before the coronavirus crisis, many of us were feeling stressed and one crisis away from not coping. We felt like frogs in boiling water, overwhelmed and exhausted. But this has crept up on us slowly, so we hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm. And let's face it, frogs generally only have two choices. Stay and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave but you are not a frog. And that's where this podcast comes in. You have many more options than you think you do. It is possible to be master of your own destiny and to craft your life so that you can thrive even in the most difficult of circumstances. I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Morris, GP, turned executive coach and specialist in resilience at work. I work with doctors and other organisations all over the country to help professionals and their teams beat stress and take control of their work. I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, so that together we can take back control to survive and thrive in our work and lives. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours? then it's time to get your life back. And that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's really great to have with me on the podcast today, in fact, back on the podcast today, Dr. Adam Harrison. And Adam is a GP, he's also a qualified barrister, and he's also an executive and leadership coach. So welcome back, Adam. How are you doing? Yeah, well, thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me back. Can't have done too badly first time. Yeah, it's really good to have you back. And and today we are going to talk about bullying and harassment in the workplace. And I know that this is something, Adam, that you have a sort of particular interest in. What sort of piqued your interest in this? Well, it was sort of uh, triggered recently, a few months ago, by an incident that one of my medical students experienced on her first ever clinical attachment And she basically had this experience and she phoned me up to get a bit of advice. And she told me essentially she'd gone on to the the ward. It was a big ward round. The outgoing team was still around. The incoming team was still around. So there were about 11 doctors on this ward round. And the consultant had uh, asked her to go and clerk a patient. But he basically said, you've got seven minutes to go and see this patient and then come back and present the case to me. And we're all going to mark you. 
So she went off and she did what good medical students do, which was she asked an open question to the patient and the patient then proceeded to talk for about five minutes on the presenting complaint and history of presenting complaint, which left her with two minutes to get the rest of the history and examine the patient. By this stage, she knew it was about a chest infection or she suspected. So she went for the money and examined the patient's chest and thought, well, this is all I can do. So she went, um, went back to the team and yeah, in front of everyone, in front of the ward, the consultant said, right, um, present your findings. And then all of these doctors here are going to grade you. And uh, she said it was one of the most humiliating and intimidating experiences of her life. And the consultant was yeah, awful to her. And there was obviously some discomfort among some of the, the other doctors, but she, you know, didn't score particularly highly because she didn't uh, get all the, you know, the information. Yeah. yeah, exactly. exactly. So, uh, yeah, she, she was really upset afterwards and she called me that evening and told me what happened. And I was pretty shocked to be honest. And you know, I was like, well, that's, you know, that sounds like quite terrible uh, behavior being on the receiving end of, and I was very sympathetic and I made some suggestions as to what she could do about it. And it just, yeah, it kind of, it just bothered me and it kind of stayed with me and it got me thinking about all the many times that I've experienced raw behavior in my career that I've been on the receiving end of it. And I mean, I just off the top of my head there and then I just wrote down the most prominent things that I could remember. And I have a list of, yeah, eight things that have stuck with me and bear in mind, I've been qualified for 20 years. And these eight things are still kind of, I'm still carrying them around with me. And, you know, some people might argue they're not types of bullying for, for whatever reason, because maybe they were a one-off, but they still had a really major impact on me. And I then started to sort of look into it. And I, I, wrote, I wrote a talk to give to the medical students because I thought it was important to let them know that these things can happen and to be kind of forewarned is forearmed and to be prepared for it really, you know and give them some, you know, a toolkit as to what they can do if they're on the receiving end themselves. So, yeah, that's why I've kind of, it's sort of stirred me up. And then I put a post on LinkedIn about it and it, you know, got over sort of five and a half thousand views and lots of good comments. And um, so there's clearly a, a demand out there for helping with this, uh, this problem. So it's, I think it's amazing that you're doing this podcast. Well, thank you for being on. I think it's really interesting that, you know, this has really stirred you up and actually unravel the problem. And we, we all know it's out there. And the problem is, I guess, traditional medical training is almost based on bullying. You know, you've got the traditional idea of the ward round in the, I don't know, 1950s, 60s, 70s, where you've got the consultant yelling at all the juniors and the, and the medical students, you get Lancelot Sir Lancelot Sprat is, is that the you know and, and all these you know it's made a joke of and yeah. I think medical training has got an awful lot better but there yeah. is still sort of that attitude that actually that is just normal for medical training training by humiliation which in any other words it's training by bullying and harassment and shame and it's just it's not just medicine although I think medicine is, is particularly bad but I I think that some of that can go on in in law firms as well and other professions so yeah, when is it just part of the culture and when is it bullying and harassment or can it be both so I mean it depends if you look at the actual definitions of bullying and excuse me while I turn to my notes because it's quite technical so there's no legal definition of bullying itself 
but it's usually defined as behavior such as spreading malicious rumors, unfair treatment, picking on or regularly undermining someone and denying someone's training or promotion opportunities. That's usually repeated, intended to hurt someone either physically or emotionally and often aimed at certain groups, for example, because of race, religion, gender or sexual orientation. So, you know, I say usually, and that's what it says on the uk.gov website. But, you know, I personally think some of the, you know, the one-off incidents that have happened to me have been so very, very severe and premeditated because I've had consultants with lists of things that they've gone through. So they've clearly thought very, very carefully about it and they've planned it all. And actually planning adds an extra element. If you look at kind of criminal activities, when something's planned and premeditated, it actually makes it worse. So sentences are higher. So it it kind of means it's a bit more severe to me anyway. Right. So if you you box someone on the nose in a fit of pique, that would get less of a sentence than if you had planned to go out and box them on the nose. And it's just like that with bullying and harassment. I think so. Because it's not a legal thing, that's just my opinion. And I also think that, you know, it's a feeling. Most people have been bullied while, you know, throughout their life at some point, be it at school or or be it, you know, uh, as a young person at work or even an older person at work. So we're all kind of like familiar with what it is and how it feels. So if you feel like you've been bullied, then fair enough, you know. But then obviously the if it goes through a performance management process or something like that, then HR are going to look at it very, very carefully, aren't they? But I mean, I'd, I'd also say that the bullying can sort of come from anyone, not just your seniors. I think there's, there's that thing about that power imbalance, isn't there? That power mismatch. And usually it's a more senior person to a more junior person, but it can be from anyone. I mean, I felt bullied by nurses on the ward in the past, you know, and they don't have any jurisdiction over me. You know, I felt bullied by patients definitely felt bullied by patients into doing stuff that they want that I'm not comfortable with. Then there's the sort of threat that, you know, they're going to complain about you. So, you know, bullying takes a a lot of forms and has various manifestations, but I know you wanted to talk about harassment as well. And that, that is something that does have a, a legal definition. And there's a, there's an act, the protection from harassment act 1997. And then there's all the protected characteristics under the equality act 2010, that if you're sort of being bullied and it's related to one of the protected characteristics, then it's, it's certainly harassment. And again, you know, it, it can be face-to-face, by letter, by email, by phone, physical, verbal, non-verbal, you know. So it's really, really varied, really. But that's the sort of official side. And then there's the sort of the cultural side, as you say. You mean more about within, within medicine and whether it's just, as you say, I think, you know, you said the kind of the, the teaching by humiliation and... I think we're all, you know, we're as students, we're kind of, there's a lot of modelling that goes on, isn't there? And, and we look at that and then that sort of becomes the norm to us, doesn't it? I had another medical student, a fourth year medical student down in Adelaide tell me that she was on the ward and one of the I think, residents, so like registrars, um, said to her, um, Oi, girl, medical student, you go and, go and get this for me. And I said, blimey, he's a, he's a piece of work, isn't he? She said, uh, no, it wasn't a he, it was a she. I said... Oh my goodness, uh, sorry, I, I assume that, but you know, and you know, this female surgical trainee was just modeling on her seniors, and that's probably where part of the cultural side of it that you've mentioned comes from. So, we've all sort of grown up with the fact, you know, the idea of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, and all this ribbing that we got from our seniors, or the, the time when we were really bullied by the nurses. And I've definitely was bullied by a, a sister on, on a ward when I was working in Jersey, it was awful. and 
you know, but you develop a, a tough shell and that's the way you, you get stronger. But like you said, it's stuck with you that whole time these these incidents and i can look back and think about it and i think rather than making you stronger it actually detracted from your work and and often really impacts on your performance it certainly impacts on team cohesiveness i know there's a lot been a lot of work around incivility in the workplace what happens when either we are bullied or or even when we see or we're present when someone else is is bullied or there's nastiness going on well, I mean, so from my own experience, I've, you know, a couple of really uh, what I thought were extreme situations. One time I actually had to uh, walk off the ward in the middle of a ward round because I got so, so distressed. It was a, it was a cardiac, cardiac surgeon who um, I hadn't been around on the first day and, and he liked his warfarin, his anticoagulation um, regimen to be different from the the units he was a new consultant and i'd missed his little talk about that so i prescribed the anticoagulants according to the unit's protocol and on the water post-op ward round there must have been about 10 of us on the round and it was in one of those uh, bays with four beds in and all the other patients were in their beds as well and he just started bawling me out when he saw the drug chart in front of everyone and i just i just had to i kind of kept it together and then i just had to walk off. And then another situation was again with some, some surgeons, a couple of breast surgeons who, um, I'd, I was a, a junior SHO. I never had house officers of my own before. I had no leadership skills whatsoever. And I tried my best, but again, I was modeling myself on how my SHOs had treated me. And I thought that was the norm. And obviously I made mistakes and they went to one of the consultants and they told him about the things that they didn't like about my approach. And then they did a bit of detective work and started asking people in theatres and clinics and things about me. And they called me in and they had a pretty much like a dossier of about 15 things that they kind of went through. And I just, (laughs) it was so unexpected. It was such a bolt out of the blue. And I just sat there it just rained upon me basically. And I just, I had tears just going down my face in front of these two consultants and it was just awful. And then of course, you know, you can't, you can't concentrate for a while. Can you, you know, you kind of leave that kind of situation and what can you do? But if it's something that, you know, I think I'm quite resilient and because they were sort of short, sharp experiences, you know, I kind of got over them quite quickly. I have good, you know, good support network and so on. But there are people that aren't as resilient, people that don't have such support networks. And obviously, if there's something that's going on and it's going on day after day in the workplace, then their health will inevitably suffer. You know, they'll develop anxiety, stress, depression. You know, people commit suicide because of, of mm-hmm. things like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the um, they can't concentrate, so the quality of their work suffers. And, you know, they may end up leaving, leaving the workplace. Um, I mean, did you want to talk specifically about in healthcare situations about how it can impact on patients and things as well? I mean, it'd be good to think about that in a sec, but I just want to come back to this whole thing about concentration, because Mm. I think I remember reading something that, you know, even if you're not the the victim of incivility yourself, even if you're in, I think they did some research of some people in a recess situation. And if there's an argument or a, you know, some harsh words going on between two of your team and it's nothing to do with you, your focus and concentration goes down massively as well because our amygdalas immediately jump to, oh, there's a threat going on, there's a threat and puts you into fight, fight or freeze zone. And we've only got limited 
processing power that goes, you know, in our prefrontal cortex. And if that is taken up with worrying about what's going on with those two, then of yeah. course that's less stuff to worry about what's going on with your work and going on with the patient. So yeah. even yeah. if the incivility and the stuff isn't happening to you, but you're witnessing it, it's yeah. a problem. Have you, would you agree with that? Totally, totally. That's, a, that's an interesting paper you're referring to is in the research situation. I, I saw a really good article written by a coach and business consultant called Chris Whitehead called The Real Price of Incivility, which I can send you the link to. Yeah, for, um, that'd be great. We'll put it in the show notes. And he talked about a paper in the Harvard Business Review from 2013 that was written by Christine Porath and Christine Pearson. And they basically were interested in the effects of incivility in the workplace they surveyed 800 managers and employees in set across 17 industries and found that when they were on the receiving end of incivility, 48% decreased their work effort. So almost half of them decreased their work effort. 78% of them said their commitment to the organization declined, almost 80%, and 25% admitted taking out their frustration on customers. So a huge impact on everyone there. But um, in terms of, as you say, sort of bystanders, in that paper as well, Dan Siegel, the neuroscientist psychologist, was quoted as saying, all close relationships involve tracking alignment, attunement and resonance between people. We track the signals of the other person. We align our state of mind with theirs. And finally, we achieve a state of mutual influence. So as you say, if, if one of your close colleagues is off kilter because of something that's going on with them, then that's going to knock you off course as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, absolutely. If you know someone's upset or in a mood or cross, it's very difficult to just get on with your own stuff because you're, yeah, you are very in tune with the moods and the emotions of your coworkers, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. You are absolutely. Well, um, you know, I think Google. I don't know if you know about Google's Search Inside Yourself Leadership Institute. Have you Have you heard about that? I've heard of it. I'd not heard of it until I found this paper, and they're clearly very kind of sharp and clued up on this because they realise that you know when people don't work well together like that then there's problems with you know lack of uh, lack of imagination lack of innovation uh, loss of interpersonal and therefore collaborative working skills and obviously an organization like google relies on innovation and imagination so for them it was a no-brainer but they really looked into it with um got together a group of mindfulness neuroscience and emotional intelligence experts and created this whole in what started off as an internal course and the search inside yourself leadership institute now uh, is available to anyone who wants to do the courses. That's interesting because that makes perfect sense. I don't know if you've read um, Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which is a, a brilliant book. And we use it, I'll use it a lot on when I'm teaching leadership and, and teamwork. But Patrick Lencioni says that the, the second dysfunction of a team is a lack of conflict, an absence of conflict. And the, the reason that's a problem is because you need conflict for creativity. You need to be able to bounce ideas off people and chuck ideas around and go, well, hang on, that won't work because of this and what that won't work because of this. And mm. in teams that are dysfunctional, you have a lack of conflict because you are frightened of conflict. And why are you frightened of conflict? You're frightened of conflict because you don't trust that you can conflict well. And how yeah. do you conflict well? Well, it's about being civil to each other. It's about being able to go, that's a good point. You know, I don't agree with that. And this is why, but not think that the relationships are ruined. So if you're in a team yeah, yeah. where you've got incivilities, bullying, harassment, just nasty behavior, you're going to do your best to avoid anything yeah. that's going to bring up any conflict or piss the other person off or in any way. You're probably just going to keep your head down yeah. and, and try to just do your best. And I guess the more hierarchical it is, 
the worse it is. But I think you made a good point earlier about actually, yes, hierarchy is a thing. And I guess you get more power if you're higher up the pecking order. But there are some people who have quite a lot of power that yes. don't have any control. Think about, you know, I think about some ward receptionists who are actually really horrible to the junior doctors and try to make yeah. their lives a misery, you know, and you've got all of that as well. So the incivility bullying harassment affects people across the board and massively impacts on your concentration and performance you can think of these really vital errors like if you're a doctor prescribing or you've got to make these difficult decisions or if you're a lawyer working on a case that's you know really really critical and you make a quick mistake well these are mistakes that cost an awful lot of time an awful lot of money and an awful lot in in human suffering potentially yeah no absolutely no that's so a couple of things that made me think about in that conflict being necessary commentary is that uh, first of all I think um, you know people aren't aren't very good at being assertive when they when they need to be so they're either as you say they either go into their their shell and withdraw or they perhaps inadvertently are quite aggressive deliberately aggressive some people but you know there's the, that that sort of middle ground of assertiveness is a lot of humans I find not very good at and I've got you know quite a few medical students I'm coaching that I, I talk about you know assertively saying no to things you know when they, they they're constantly asked to do things but yeah and and the the other thing is if you have got someone who is just so wary of conflict that they're not willing to get involved if there is some conflict and they see some injustice and they see someone who they feel is being bullied there's this this concept of the bystander effect have you heard of that? I've heard of it, but explain more. Yeah. So again, it's a, it's, it's a little bit legal, but it's a social psychological theory that states individuals are less likely to offer help to a victim when there are other people present. So yeah, it was kind of thought up in 1968, but there was a big case, a, a, an awful sexual assault and murder case of a, a woman called Kitty Genovese in the States in 1964. And it was reported perhaps sensationally um, by the press that that 38 bystanders watched passively. And then it's been interesting because a lot of work has been done on that over the years uh, to try and disprove it. And some, some good work has been done. But there was a, a study in, in 2009 published in the Journal of the International Ombudsman Association that says that in reality, there are dozens of reasons why people don't act on the spot or come forward in the workplace when they see behaviour they consider unacceptable. And the two most common reasons cited for not acting were fear of loss of important relationships, both inside and out of the workplace, and fear of what they termed bad consequences. Yeah. So I guess thinking of things like, well, if I speak up or put my head above the parapet, am I going to be next? Am I going to be the next victim? Or am I not going to get a good reference to get my yeah. next job? I get it. You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a slash quiz yeah if you're going for a job in that surgical department and yeah. your boss has just yelled at the medical students if you say in front of people actually that's not great and try and rest the situation then 
are you likely to get that job if you've directly contradicted that person? That's really tough. Well, you've undermined the authority of the bully, haven't you? And, and that's going to have consequences. Yeah. It's really interesting. I'm going to talk in a minute about what should we then do as a bystander. But I just wanted to ask, first of all, you know, that incident with the medical students, did that consultant, was the intention to humiliate and bully her, do you think? Or do you think most people with their bullying and harassing behaviour, maybe the intention isn't to make the person's life a mystery, but there's something else going on? What do you think? So... I think in the case of that particular consultant, she had heard that he had a bit of a reputation for being like that to medical students. So I, you know, I wasn't there, but I I presume it was intentional and just his style. And maybe, you know, the first lot of, of new, first tranche of new medical students on the firm for the year. And it's like, okay, I'm going to do this to them so that, you know, they work harder so that they, you know, clearly they're not going to have, I'm not going to give them the time to examine the patients properly and come up with a good diagnosis and and all of this. So they're going to grade very badly from all the doctors. So that will give them a bit of an incentive to work harder. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I'm just, just, I've no idea. I mean, I think you raise a really, a really important point with any of these things. I think firstly, it's important to look at the conduct that's been perceived as bullying or harassment objectively and consider whether it could be an intrinsic problem. So in in the case of my student, you know, was she being oversensitive? Was she being paranoid? Was she anxious because it was the first firm? You know, are some people uh, with depression more likely to, you know, more inclined to see what may not be negative behavior as negative behavior because that's part of the symptomatology, isn't it? And then there's the, as you say, was the behavior intentional? So look at the bully next. Could it have been a one-off, you know, was, is it a misunderstanding, a loss, you know, a kind of someone, people lose their temper, that happens, they don't necessarily mean to, and obviously if they apologise about it afterwards, then that's that's a different story, but is it just a one-off loss of temper, was it banter that's been misinterpreted, you know, people have different senses of humour, you know, and so some people like, just might not find it funny that some, you know, some surgeons made some, you know, kind of crude or crass joke and you know it's like well you know this is just surgical banter or whatever you know but uh it's like, well, let's well, just yeah. interject here other forms of other people do but it's not just <laughs> surgeons we talk about surgeons a lot <laughs> well this guy was a physician actually this consultant was was a physician so uh you okay know, so there we are <laughs> he's always been surgeons with me but <laughs> you know it might be like well i'm you know i'm quite a demure individual and i don't like hearing those sorts of words and language you know so but then the other the other thing is is what's actually going on with the alleged bully you know does it reflect their own problems um, are they in a bad mood that day for a personal reason and you know if that's the case then you'd like to think that someone could take the alleged victim aside and say to them look it's not you they're having a bad day they're not normally like that you know depersonalize it try to see the bully as a as a human with reasons for doing what they did which are not personal to the recipient you know, their own work or life stresses, their own mental illness, whatever. And that can be really helpful and powerful because, you know, then it's like, okay, well, it's not, it's not about me, thankfully. Okay. I don't, I don't feel like I've been bullied now, you know. I think that's really key because we tell ourselves a lot of stories in our own head, you know, they think I'm, you know, that medical student, he'd never met her before. So he, he never knew, he didn't know what she was like. 
So, yeah. you know, but she might be saying, oh, he thinks I'm rubbish. He thinks I'm this. He's, he's intending to call, you know, he's intending to do that. He's just a big bully. The consultant must be, might have been thinking, well, I'm going to toughen her up a bit. And, oh, but I've had a bit of a bad day. And, oh, not another medical student. I'm, I haven't got time for this. You know, there might yeah. be all sorts. It doesn't excuse the behavior, but there, we do often read bad intentions into people. Absolutely. And like you said, if you're in a frame of mind where you're, tend to catastrophize or always put a negative spin on things and you're going to see that more aren't you yeah yeah definitely definitely so it's interesting what you said about what we can do about it like you said so it takes on to a, to one side and say no, don't worry so i think i think that's really important because i think when you confront people in a big group then mm. if they are feeling if you are criticizing them in front of other people and they're feeling shame about mm. it, then they will react very, very defensively and probably shoot the messenger and things won't go very well. So do you think it's better to confront people in the group or actually wait till the situation's over and then go and deal with it individually at a different time? What's the sort of general advice on that? Sorry, do you mean the victim confronting the, the bully? So or either, the... I think. So if you are, are in, that, in a group situation where someone is because actually most of this happens in a group situation, I'm thinking it is less likely to happen one to one, although, although it can. But if you're in a yeah. group and let's first of all say you're a bystander, you see, you witness some unpleasant behavior towards someone else, you're the bystander, what should you do? Well, we touched on this before, didn't we, in terms of, say, the medical student and the junior doctor and the consultant and, you know, undermining their authority. And you, as the bystander, you... You're torn, aren't you, really, between your caring nature and your duty to look after that that junior person, that medical student, and the, I need to keep this job, you know, I've got another six months with this person who could make my life hell if I embarrass them by calling out their behaviour in front of the whole team. I mean, calling it out, it's sort of, it has to be done, doesn't it? But I don't think in that scenario, you know, doing that in front of, in front of the whole team is going to do anyone any favours, really. So I think you have to, you know, you have to do it. In a, it's, it, I think it's like anything that's potentially sensitive that could inflame any situation is best done in private, isn't it? Behind closed doors and, and sort of take someone aside and not air your dirty laundry in public and so on. So that would be my approach. Yeah, I think uh, if, if there's anything, you know, if you can see things getting out of hand, if you can buy some time or distract the situation or deflect to go, oh, actually, should we move on to this patient? So you're not directly confronting it but you're moving the situation on and yeah, yeah, you yeah. know so you're you're not humiliating anyone or shaming anyone you're just sort of distracting and then maybe afterwards you might want to go and say actually I'm sure you didn't mean to but I think the impact on that student she hadn't had much time I think she was quite upset you know so do it in a very non-confrontational way you know and there are some frameworks aren't there the Bocker framework is um, describe the behavior very descriptive to mm. describe the outcome say what the consequences are and say actually what God, remember what the A stands for, but what actions? Yeah, yeah what, actions. What actions you then want to take, and that could be quite helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, I I completely agree. And obviously, you know, you need to pick your moments, don't you? So the, when the bully is kind of in a good, in a, in a better mood, a better frame of mind, and and you know, you feel like you've got their ear. It helps if you if you're uh, you know got a good relation, good working relationship with them generally. Anyway, I think. But I think let's not forget the victim here. If, if you mm consider it, it to be bullying then I think you 
rather than the the victim is going to feel like it's it's their fault. What have I done wrong? Why is this person you know shouting at me? I must I must have you know done something to upset them or whatever. So so the person who is the bystander I think has to normalise it for the victim. Let them know it's not their fault. That's the most important thing. It is not your fault. Yeah. It's so common. It's this is such a common thing that it's almost the norm. Sadly, it's almost the norm, and that that you you shouldn't feel any shame in it, and that you're not alone. Not only has it happened to other people, but also I'm here for you if you want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, having an empathic work colleague is helpful because they understand they've been in the situation with you. You know, it's a lot. You know, you can get more out of it than talking to your partner if they're non-medical or your mum or something like that, I think, you know. So having a supportive colleague, which, yeah, which kind of brings me on to, it just made me think of one of the strategies I was going to talk about later, which is I heard a story about someone who was being bullied by the CEO in their company. And they were at, not at board level, but a step below. Excuse me. So their line manager was on the board and worked directly with the with the CEO. And so one technique for someone who's being bullied is to bring another person in on the problem and create a supportive bubble. You know, within the, obviously there's a, a wider toxic culture, this CEO bullied a lot of people, but they got a little protective bubble with that one understanding person. And this person happened to be, you know, as I say, on the, on the board, worked with the CEO, Everything was told to her and she was very sympathetic and she used her position to influence the other board members. And ultimately the CEO was actually got rid of in the end in this, in this story. I think this is, this is an unusual situation, but it's very helpful if you, if you feel like the whole world's kind of against you at work, then if you can find someone to create a little protective bubble, that means so much. I think that can help people so much. Where's the role of HR in all of this? You know, when should you be going and actually taking this further and saying, actually, this isn't okay. There's more Mm. we need to do. So the general advice is to uh, try and see if it can be sorted out informally at first. Now, there are so many variables that are going to dictate whether that's possible. You know, again, your confidence, your self-confidence, your assertiveness, your resilience and whatever, how much shame you, you feel about it. I mean, you might as a, as a house officer, you know, and the, and the professor has properly shamed you in front of everyone. You might just think that is too high a mountain to, to climb, isn't it? You know, I can't possibly go to them and, and sort of have a, an informal word with them. Interestingly, I, with the cardiac surgeon, I did. So I lived on site. I lived on the hospital campus at the time. And I walked off the ward and I went to my flat and I just kind of gathered myself and then I, I, I sort of girded my loins and I thought, do you know what? I'm not going to tolerate that. I'm not having that. So I went to his office and he was there and he let me in. And I said, I explained what happened. I said, I wasn't there for the, your teaching session on how you like your patients to be anticoagulated. And that's why I prescribed this, you know, but you didn't even give me the opportunity to explain before bawling me out and I think that's really unfair you know and uh, it's very upsetting and he apologized to me there and then looking back I don't know how I had the balls to do that but what you did you described the behavior you didn't say you were you shouted at me and you know you were awful you said this is what happened I wasn't there and you raised your voice you know and 
there's a reason for that. And I, I guess it's the icing on the cake. What's the impact on me was I felt very upset, very humiliated. Yeah. So next time, you know, it would be great if you could just check, check in why yeah. I did, you know, that thing. But the yeah. fact, I think that most people don't intend to cause harm or hurt. I think yeah. some people do. So there are some nasty people around, but most people don't really want to upset people. That's not their intention. But from whatever happened, they're feeling frustrated. They're feeling hacked off with the situation. They think that they're lumping one person in with, with a whole group of people that they think are useless or not doing this or that. And then they're, it's their frustration and, and maybe some prejudice and maybe some things boiling over. But mostly it's, like you said, it's not necessarily personal against the yeah. one person. Yeah. And so calling it out and saying what you've seen on an individual, you know, individually with people, yeah. most people are really apologetic. And, you know, if it was me, if I had bullied someone or done something that came across as bullying, I would be very upset and I would definitely want that person to come to me and tell me what I'd done. Yeah. Because if you're not giving people feedback, then how can anybody change or realize what's happened? And if that... Yeah. In that case of that medical student, if that consultant doesn't get feedback about their behavior, well, they're just going to keep doing it. Yeah. And if their attention wasn't to humiliate, but they thought they genuinely thought it, genuinely thought it was a good way of teaching, then, then that's not fair on them <laughs> either to, carry, to be allowed to carry on with behavior that's just appalling. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, as far as I know, no one on the, on the team called him out about it. So anyway, sorry, you, yeah, you mentioned about HR and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I've uh, went off on my little anecdote but uh, so if you if you try try to tackle something informally or you didn't feel like you had the confidence to do so then talk to your manager so I guess in in the case of a of a doctor well that was awkward because he was my consultant but then I guess you've got an ed- educational supervisor you could go and speak to um so there's someone or there's the you know there's the dean responsible for the FY1s isn't there I suppose then you would go to HR and then, you know, you could take it through their performance management process if you, um, you know, felt you were able to do that. There's always your uh, union you could go to, BMA. It's an, it's an employment-related issue, so, so they should be able to help you with that. They can perhaps help you take it down a formal grievance route if that's how you're going to go, you know, like with, um, with Dr. Day, you know, taking to Health Education England to an employment tribunal. Um, so you could go down that route. Obviously, it's quite long-winded and, and potentially expensive. ACAS also offer advice, the Advice Reconciliation and Arbitration Service. They have a helpline. So they're the you know, more procedural and, and legal things you can do. But obviously, you know, there are other methods outside of that. I think it's also important to say if the victim chooses not to call it out for whatever reason, and that's their prerogative, you know, and they, you know, they may have various reasons for that. Like they may just be wanting to get a good reference. You may, may have, a, you know, only a few weeks left in the job, but they're just like, right, just keep my head down, finish the job off, and I'll be on to passages new in a few weeks so I can just put it all behind me. Then you can, um, you know, you should kind of get behind them and say that's, you know, that was their choice not to call it out and be positive about it. And also I think if people that don't want to call it out, encourage them to think realistically about what they can and can't, change so like Stephen Covey's circles of control and influence I know you're very um very into that with your resilience training so you know obviously they're not you know potentially not going to be able to change 
the consultant or the, the bully's behavior, potentially, they may be able to. So then they need to change their reaction to it, don't they? Or, you know, the way, the way that they deal with it, trying to make that more positive. But there are some techniques that we can use to try and help. So don't you want me to? I think, you know, one thing that, that's striking me is we talked about assertiveness, didn't we, earlier? And I think the difference between assertiveness and aggression, actually, and if everybody can remember that assertiveness is about stating your needs, but also thinking about the needs of the person in front of them, then I think that works for both the victim. So actually this is what I need, but I understand that you're probably having a difficult day and you see all these different people coming through and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But also the, the person who's the bully, you know, often we come across as aggressive when we, when we don't mean to be, but what we're not doing is expressing concern and the needs of, that medical student so you know i'm just thinking back to that thing in the first place that medical mm. student actually if the consultant said had said okay i know you haven't had very much time to do it i'm sorry about that we've been really quick but just present what you've got that would be great yeah same situation completely different outcome but completely different outcome and the medical student would have been fine i said okay and rather than grading say okay is there any any quick pointers we've got you know say yeah. exactly the same thing but a different outcome yeah it's tricky leadership isn't it you know that's kind of yeah i think the difference between good and bad leadership in my opinion absolutely and we're we're out of time now i'm afraid but that's been a very fascinating i don't think there's any quick quick and there's there's no silver bullet advice for this is there but if you would have three tips to sort of combat workplace bullying and harassment what would they be that people can do personally to combat it as to, in, to deal with it you know to deal with, to it. deal with it okay so i well i think it's important to try and depersonalize it mm-hmm. if that's if that's possible yeah um you know if it's you know maybe uh maybe a one-off situation you know if it's if it's the first time it's happened and there's no kind of pattern of the behavior then then assume that it's just a one-off mm-hmm. and try and depersonalize it and, I think just try and find some support, yeah. you know, within your team, if possible. And I think the other thing is, as you say, to if you're not so assertive, just try and work on those skills to become more assertive and more influential and ultimately use those skills to take the conversation to the bully to, to explain what they've done or how they made you feel and, and persuade them to stop. But there's, yeah, there's loads more we could talk about. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. I think my top tip would be don't don't deal with this alone. Like you said, get the professional help that you need, but also get the personal help and support from your peers as well. And that makes it a lot easier to deal with. So thank you. Thank you so much for being on. If people wanted to contact you, how could they reach you? Yeah, so email uh, Harrison at gmail.com. I'm on LinkedIn as Dr. Adam Harrison. I'm on uh, Twitter, but that's not really so much for contact, but I'm under uh, uh, Dr. Underscore Ad and Medical Leadership Coach. Um, I can give you those details. Yeah, give me the links. We'll put them in the show notes. So so thank you so much. That has been really enlightening. And just, just to say to the listeners, please do do get help if, if anything in this podcast has affected you and you're you're starting to see patterns or, or realizing that there are issues that you need to deal with please don't don't deal with it alone and get the help that you need thanks adam we'll, we'll have you back again i'd love to talk about this further thank you and thanks thanks rachel cheers bye-bye take care bye 
Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.